Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace City Online. My name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for joining us online and being a part of our community. Over the past month, we've been in our study of the Beatitudes. Beatitudes simply means blessings. And it's the opening few statements that Jesus gives at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, where he's teaching about what it means to be blessed, about who is blessed, and, and how to live a, a blessed life as part of the kingdom of God. This statements, these, these statements also give a list of really kind of attitudes or, mindset or mindsets or dispositions or, or maybe even virtues that should be a part uh, of those lives who are following Christ and part of the kingdom of God. They should be there because as we respond to Christ and put our hope and our faith and our trust in him, as we receive that grace and forgiveness into our lives, then the Holy Spirit begins to refine us and make us into his image. And so these attitudes and virtues are kind of instilled within the hearts and lives of the people, and, and they begin to take root. And so we're poor in spirit over the sin that we see in our own life. We're poor in spirit over the sin that we see in the world around us. We mourn that which grieves the Lord, and, and, and we mourn that which is against his kingdom. And so all throughout this list of Beatitudes, you can see these things that, that the Lord is working in and, and through the hearts and lives of his people. But these are also things that we can practice, that we can also cultivate, because we, we're learning this, we're growing this. We want to follow after the way of Christ and implementing these uh, virtues into our life. And so what you have with these Beatitudes is that each of them really kind of have an internal and an external component to them. The, the Lord works in us and, and brings about the change in our heart and our life, and then they're to be expressed externally in the world around us. And this inward transfer, the, the inward transformation changes how we live, how we interact, even how we impact the world around us. And the fifth beatitude is no different. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful. So there's an external outward uh, dynamic to it. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So there's an inward work that God is doing as well. And so it's another beatitude that has this internal and external component to it. And it's another beatitude that has this incredible promise that blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, with that promise that we're given, uh, we need to be really clear on what it means or really what mercy entails. Specifically, what, is it, what does God's mercy entail? What does it mean to be merciful? And so I, I think we need to spend some time almost even defining the term to help us understand really what it is that we're talking about when we talk about uh, the mercy we receive from the Lord and how we too can be merciful in the way that we live and the way that we relate to those around us. There are two different aspects to mercy that I, I think uh, on the first go through can sound different, but I also think they really go hand in hand. Uh, one aspect of the definition of, of mercy, or really specifically of God's mercy, is his restraint from inflicting punishment uh, on, on the sinful people. It's God's restraint to, from inflicting punishment. It's patience. Psalm 130 verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. So part of mercy is, is the forgiveness of the Lord. It's the restraint that he shows. And so it's God withholding that wrath, withholding that back. But there's also an action in there in that grace is, is given. So is, is grace is being given in the situation. So mercy is not giving to someone what they deserve. Grace is giving to someone what they don't deserve. So the sinner deserves punishment, yet God, who is slow in anger, gives grace. The sinner stands in need of grace, and God, with his mercy, gives it. 
And I think this, this action of God giving mercy in that situation is what links that definition or that aspect of mercy to the second one. Because the, kind of the second aspect of mercy, or the second definition, if you will, uh, comes from theologian Wayne Grudem. We quoted him last week when we were talking about righteousness. Uh, Wayne Grudem defines mercy this way. He says it's God's goodness towards those in misery and distress. God's goodness towards those in misery or distress. And again, I think they go hand in hand because the, the, the sinner stands in misery or distress because the, the wages of our sin is death. And so the sinner is in that distress Yet God is slow to anger, and he shows his goodness by giving grace in that situation. So we see God's mercy in response to our sin. And that's most notably the, the strongest, the most significant example, really interaction that we have with God's mercy is seeing his goodness to us in the state of our sin, in the state of that misery, and in the state of, of that distress. But this isn't the only expression of mercy that we see from God in and throughout Scripture. We see with Christ and then during his earthly ministry, there are all sorts of expressions of Christ's mercy when he responds to tangible, physical needs in, in very loving and compassionate ways. Like in Matthew chapter 9, there were two blind men that cry out to Jesus, Have mercy on us, son of David. You know, when they cry out in that way, they're, they're not looking for their sins to be given, but rather for their eyesight to be restored. They wanted to see again, and, and Jesus stops, and he has compassion, and he does have mercy on them, and he returns their eyesight to them. Matthew chapter 15, a woman approaches Jesus about her demon-possessed daughter, and she too cries out, have mercy on us. Matthew chapter 17, a father who has a son who's afflicted with demon possession, he asks the same question, or has the same prayer, the same cry, have mercy on us. It's a cry for goodness. It's a cry for hope. It's a cry for compassion given during a time of need, during a time of distress. And Jesus hears their cry. He comforts the afflicted, and he gives them mercy. And so what we see with this beatitude is with this beatitude, like many of the other ones, but with this beatitude, there is a call to action. It's goodness in action. And you see the mercy of Christ in his action towards those in distress. And if this is one of the ways that we see the mercy of Christ is, is, is in his action towards those in distress, then we should also be able to see the mercy of Christ in the actions of his church towards those in distress and mercy. Because when we show mercy, mercy shows that we are aligned with and marked by the character of God. As God is merciful, so should his church be. So much so that Christian ethicist Glenn Stason noted this, merciful action is the concrete expression of loyalty to God. I mean, not alone is a full sentence. Like, you want to see someone who's loyal to the Lord. You want to see someone who's loyal to his kingdom, loyal to the work that he's doing. It's, it's a, a merciful action is, is an example of that. It is a concrete expression of loyalty to God. But he continues. Merciful action is a concrete expression of loyalty to God. And that what God demands is not so much activity directed towards God, but loving kindness benefiting other people. I mean, that's a really a loaded sentence. You know, a, a merciful action, it's a, a concrete expression of loyalty to God. But then 
what you, would, you might think is, okay, how else do we show loyalty to God? Let's worship, let's serve him, let's, let's have something directed towards God. But here, it's turning and saying, no, it's, it's not activity directed towards God, but it's loving kindness benefiting other people. That's a way to show our loyalty to God. And that's not just some sentence that, that the Christian ethicist came up with, but rather he's seeing this and pulling this specifically, directly from the teachings of Christ. You see, it's in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus is questioned by the religious elite for why is he always eating with the outcast, with the rejects, with the sinner? Because those would be the people that most would describe as they are not loyal to God at all. God is holy. God is righteous. They have sinned. They've shown how unrighteous they are. They're not loyal to God at all. So why would Jesus, who you know is, was... Uh, in that day, the other religious leaders are looking at him like, if you claim to be a rabbi, if you claim to be a teacher in this way, if you claim to be loyal to God, then why are you eating with these, re- or with these, these rejects, with these outcasts? But it's to that argument that Jesus replies in Matthew 9, verse 12. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So Jesus, he goes and he shares this meal with the outcasts, with the rejects. He goes and shares this meal. And it was a loving act of kindness that benefited other people. And and it showed mercy in action. It was goodness to them in their distress. And look, church, this is our call. This is what we are to be known for, giving goodness to the other, giving mercy to those in in misery and distress. We've seen Christ do this. We've seen Christ give this example, and this is what the church should be known for. And look, this isn't an abstract thing either. This isn't something that's just theoretical. Like you specifically, at your job, on your campus, in your family, as you parent, there will be occasions when God will use you to be the one through whom others get a glimpse of what it looks like to experience the love and the mercy that comes from God. But this is the hope of the beatitude. This is the hope of the beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. When we realize that we're called, placed, and positioned to be vessels of this mercy, to give this mercy, to bring this into this world, then we're going to realize that we too are going to be shown mercy. Now, I need to slow down and be kind of clear here because I think I might have just made it a little bit muddy. We need to be realistic in that when we um, go to to give mercy to someone, there's not a 100% guarantee that they're always going to realize, hey, you know, you're giving me mercy here and that mercy is making me think of the Lord and I know that I'm connecting all these dots and I'm, you know, this is, give me a glimpse of what it looks like to receive the mercy of the Lord. And so, you know, you can't guarantee that, that that's going to happen each and every single time. This also does not mean that that when you give mercy to someone, that they will reply with gratitude and appreciation or maybe even grace and mercy in return. Okay, that's not the promise that's being communicated here. But rather, this list of Beatitudes, it teaches us about God's response to his people. And so what happens here is as we practice this virtue, okay, as we we give mercy to those around us, as we are merciful, what happens then is it grows us in our own knowledge understanding and appreciation for the mercy that God already has and is showing and will continue to show us. And so it it deepens our awareness and our appreciation of the mercy that God has given to us in our life. And so as we show mercy, it also 
shows that we have genuinely connected with him and that we are continually being transformed by that mercy and by the grace of God in our lives. One place where you see this in Scripture is in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5. Now, this was a passage that we were in just a few weeks ago when we covered blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Uh, because well, that beatitude is, is really kind of all about mercy as well. Blessed are those who mourn, so we're in misery, we're in distress, and yet God's goodness comes to us in it. And so it's God's mercy for us when we're I- I- in that struggle. So we were in this passage there, but we, were, uh, we just went through verse 4. We're going to add verse 5 to it. So let's read it once again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Now here's verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. So what the promise there is, is, is mercy. It's an overflowing of the comfort we have received from Christ. So as we give mercy, we're only able to do this as God is the one who continually shows mercy to us and gives mercy to us in our time of need. And, and I think, again, that shows our loyalty to the Lord and that he's giving mercy to us. He's giving grace to us. He's giving love to us. And we don't hold it in. We don't hold it hostage. But rather, this internal experience with the Lord is then expressed in our action. And we are aligned with the redeeming work that he is doing as we show mercy to those around us, as we show mercy to those whom God has placed in our lives and as, as people who are in distress and in misery and need goodness and compassion and the love of the Lord spoken or enacted into their life. And so it's, it's a way that we, uh, again, can show our, our loyalty to the Lord and show that we have been transformed and are being transformed uh, by the mercy that he has given to us. And there is one example after another throughout all of Scripture. And, uh, but this one specific is in Matthew 25, 34 through 40, where Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God and about who's there and who is welcomed into the kingdom of God. And, and we, see, uh, in, we see in this parable that there are those there who embody and implement and live out this virtue of mercy. Look at how Jesus says this in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So what's happening there, you know, again, these are those that are part of the kingdom of God. And their actions are revealing that they have trusted in their father of compassion and comfort. Their actions reveal that they have been transformed by the father of compassion and comfort. Their actions are revealed that they are overflowing with the mercy that, his, that he has given. So when they see someone in need, when they see someone who's hungry, when they see someone without clothes, when they see the, someone that's on the outside, they welcome them in, they feed them, they clothe them. They don't just think someone should do something. They, they don't just think, man, someone should respond here, someone should act. No, their feelings and, and thoughts are accompanied by action and mercy flows forth. And blessed are the merciful, 
for they will be shown mercy. And it's, it's just a, another way that our lives show that we're marked and transformed and being transformed um, by the Lord. This work that he's doing in our life, we then want to express it in the world around us. But still, there's part of me that when I, like, when I read the Beatitudes and, and even just kind of knowing how um, there's just um, the way that we participate in this grace and the way that he gives us grace but we, and, then, and then we put it into practice in our life and cultivate these, these virtues in our life as well. Like knowing that's there, there's still part of me that I read this list and I think, okay, man, I've got to do this perfectly. If I want to receive mercy in my life, then I need to be kind of perfect in my expression of that mercy. Or maybe you're hearing this and, and it just seems like too insurmountable or too, or like to be a, a person that's, you know, this compassion or have this type of mercy on others because you might be overwhelmed by all sorts of things that's happening in your life. But here's the deal. If we don't stop to realize that we are a people desperate in need of his mercy and grace, for all of it, then this is a losing battle for us. Because part of being a merciful person is confessing our sin. It's confessing our inadequacies. It's confessing our deficiencies. Because that keeps us dependent and also resting in the Father of comfort and compassion. So when we trust in him, we know that we'll be filled with mercy to where mercy can then be overflowed into our relationships. And so if I lost you along the way, come back in and hear me on this. It is absolutely okay, if not preferential, to be the one who says, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I mean, that's the start of the Christian faith. Have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Like that, that should be our starting point. So we need to lay down the soul-crushing goal of trying to be the perfect Christian, of trying to earn this and make this happen yourself. No, let's know that our starting point and what sustains us along the way, what really gives fuel to the fire, if you will, is we're going to constantly take our need, our distress, our shortcomings to Christ and ask for his mercy. And we will know, maybe even have a bold, confident faith that he will give it. That his mercy will meet us there and his Holy Spirit will meet us to help us confess that sin, turn from that sin, and then walk in the ways of his love, grace, and compassion. This whole thing has to be rooted in the mercy that we have received from the Lord. Otherwise, it's going to run askew. Otherwise, it's, it's, not, it's not going to be expressed properly. I mean, remember the, the two greatest commands that helps us understand, interpret, and apply all of Scripture into our life, right, is love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Christ said all, all the word hangs on, on those two commandments. And so that helps us even understand this blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Uh, but there's one uh, verse in the Old Testament, My, Micah 6, 8, that some refer to as the great requirement of our faith. And I, I think it kind of uh, all reflects the two great commandments as well. But in Micah 6, 8, it says this. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord. So you see, when we were giving mercy, when we see a situation that requires mercy and we are wanting to be merciful there, then, and we go to happen to that moment. We can't do this out of pride, 
All right, we can't do this out of self-righteousness. We can't do this from a, well, you're in misery and distress, and I've got it all together, and I'm going to come in with my you know, Messiah complex or my Savior mentality. That's, that's not it. We can't, that can't be the way we respond, but rather, it's, I'm a, it's have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I'm a person who needed grace, who needed mercy, and I only love the Lord because he first loved me in his mercy and kindness. He met me in my, distra- my distress, and now that mercy has taken root in my life, and it's welled up to where it is now overflowing into this situation, and I think that's a way that we walk humbly with him. I think that's a way that we can act justly, and I think that's a way that we we can love mercy. So if you want to know what's required in your faith, if you want to know what's required of you, Christian, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord. That leads us and guides us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourself. And it shows that we have connected with the Father of compassion and mercy and are being transformed by that mercy in the way that we live daily in this fallen and broken world. And so what would it look like for you this week to begin to love mercy? What would it look like for you to begin to love mercy? Perhaps for some of you, it's accepting the mercy that Christ desires to give. He is slow to anger over our sin, and he is. But make no mistake, that doesn't mean um, that he's not angry over our sin, right? He is slow to anger, but he is still angry over our sin. So there will be a punishment the question is, is do you want to bear that punishment or, or do you want, would you rather trust in Christ who's willingly borne that punishment on your behalf and on my behalf? And in so doing, when we trust in him, we are accepting the grace and the love and the mercy, the goodness that he has given to us in our moment and time, in our setting of distress. And so maybe the step for you is to accept the mercy that Christ desires to give to you. And that can be the first step for you to begin to love mercy as you are loving the mercy that Christ has, has given to you in your life. Still, maybe it's letting the mercy that Christ has given to you well up and overflow into your relationships. And so maybe you're the one that has to look into the, the broken relationships around you. And hey, maybe you weren't the one that caused it. So you're not to blame, but now you understand, hey, you might be the one responsible to give mercy in that situation. And in so doing, help take the first step in that relationship on the path towards healing. Maybe it's uh, you restraining um, from inflicting punishment on the other, right? I mean, that's part of, of, of the definition of mercy as well. Someone's wronged you, someone's hurting you, and you've got every right to, to strike back. But maybe that's a situation where you can, hey, I want to love mercy here. I want to strain from that desire to, to go back because I want to, more than win an argument, I want to win the relationship and, and carry the moment and let love and mercy lead us to the path of uh, restoration and reconciliation. Maybe it's acting on the need that you know your neighbor has, right? Don't, don't stop at the emotion. Don't stop at the empathy or the sympathy. Couple it with action. Let there be an action that goes along with that emotion and show mercy. Let there be goodness that goes to them in that moment of need. And we see the truth in Scripture that when we do this, when we love mercy, we'll be blessed when we do this, when we put this into practice. Because Christ has given us this incredible promise. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let me pray for us. 
God, we love you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the mercy that you have given to us. God, we are sinners in need of you, in need of your grace, and in need of your mercy. God, help us to trust in that. Help us to rest in that. God, help us to never graduate beyond that. But God, help us know um, that we continually need you and your goodness towards us. And God, help that well up inside of us to where it overflows into all of our relationships so that we, the people of your church, are marked by the mercy that we carry into the world around us. God, may it be one of the defining virtues and characteristics of your people and of this church, God, that we would be a people that loves mercy in this world. God, help us. This is, uh, so many times, it's a tough calling. We, we, it's, we don't know exactly how to flesh this out and how to live it out. But Lord God, help us in these situations. Stay rooted in the mercy that you have given to us and let that be what God's are expressions of mercy in the world around us. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for the mercy you have given to us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.